coming at you live from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. I want to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. hope you guys are enjoying your day with the ones you know and love. And listen, uh, you know, another great week coming on in Major League Baseball. Listen, we talked last week about pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, just about all the players are there for most teams. Obviously, there's some players holding out with visa issues and stuff like that. But within the next week or so, you're going to start seeing some inter-squad games, stuff like that. And really everything, uh, the, the baseball season is getting kicked off. And I'm telling you, there's nothing a baseball fan enjoys more than to see the beginning of spring. You know, maybe the weather isn't there. Maybe it's, that's, you know, not the biggest issue. You know, you got some cold weather, but you know spring is coming now once they start playing baseball. And it's... Absolutely, absolutely exciting to see. Um, listen, got a great show planned today. We're going to be speaking in a little bit with uh, former Major League pitcher Calvin Maduro. Pitched for the Phillies and with the Baltimore Orioles. He, uh, I believe, is still with the Baltimore Orioles organization as a scout, pitching coach, stuff like that. Uh, Monteus Walton, amateur baseball player, is going to join the show around 5.30 and then at 6.30, we're going to look to hear from Sweeney Murdy from WFAN. Of course, he covers the Yankees. does a great job um, you know, letting you know what's going on with the Yankees for WFAN. So that's all in the program. Listen, i got a ton of stuff that I want to go over. I'm going to try to figure out how I want to start it. But right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to uh, Calvin Maduro, and we'll see, we'll see pretty much how everything's going on with him. Um, just uh, bear with me, man. We're going to just give a quick call. Like we like we always do here on the past ball show, but uh, Calvin Maduro in the major leagues uh, finished with a ten and nineteen record, five seventy eight career ERA, sixty eight games, thirty nine starts uh, for parts of about five seasons with Philadelphia and Baltimore, and you know, like I said, is uh, you know, there's a lot of different, a lot of pretty cool things to go over with him, and we will. Dial out, man. We'll see how it goes. Just want to make sure I got the number right. Yeah. So that's the only time we're going to do it. The other two calls I got actually calling in, joining us. So we'll we'll end up seeing how that goes. But uh, we're reaching out right now to former Major League pitcher Calvin Maduro. And we're going to see what's going on with him. But uh, once again, Passball Show, John Pielli here on the MTR Radio Network. We're going to be with you till about 7 o'clock today. Um. Philly Baseball Beat will join us at about 7, followed by MTR Sports Report at about about 9 o'clock. And, you know, as you say, same stuff we go through all the time. But we'll have to we'll have to reach out to Calvin in a little bit. But um, today, if you listen to WFAN and the Mike Francesa show, uh, you see he had uh, Mike Piazza on. And Mike Piazza was talking about his new book, Long Shot. And <clears throat> I think really the question everybody wants to know, was Mike using steroids? Was Mike not using steroids? Listen, when it comes down to my favorite players to watch in the history of baseball, watch them play. You know, I've seen, you know, other stuff when it comes to documentaries and got the statistics and really to find out what kind of players they were. But as far as seeing a player throughout his entire major league career, Mike Piazza was really one of my favorite careers to follow. Here's a guy that really was taken in a 62nd round by the Los Angeles Dodgers pretty much as a favor to manager Tommy Lasorda and ends up becoming this superstar catcher, one of the best offensive catchers to ever play in this game. And it's, you know, it's a shame the way things have ended up happening with the steroids era and stuff like that. And 
Listen, I think if you want to be critical of Mike, if you want to put some blame towards uh, Mr. Piazza and say that you know he was in that error, he had to be using. I think it, it it holds a little bit of water. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hold the same thing against a guy like Jeff Bagwell, who similarly did not have any type of connection, any type of uh, never failed a drug test. There was never any clinics or anything that were tied to him as far as him taking any substances or any evidence to really point towards that. Mike is obviously in the same boat. And what, if I, you know, you had a gun to my head and you said, "Am I a hundred percent sure that Mike Piazza never did steroids?" Uh, listen, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if if the gun goes off, if I'm wrong, then I, I don't know if I could say that I'm a hundred percent sure. But based on you know, based on his body of work, his uh, his numbers, what he did for a catcher in the history of Major League Baseball, you know, really hasn't been uh, hasn't been compared to. I mean, you look at what Johnny Bench did, you look at what Yogi Berra did, and I guess those guys would probably be the biggest or the closest comparisons. I mean, Piazza had more power. I mean, he was that good. I mean, you could say maybe Johnny Bench at his absolute best was in the same league as Mike Piazza, but listen, I don't think that. You could say there was a better offensive catcher in the game. Now you want to compare the whole thing and say defensively, yeah, listen, a lot of a lot of good catchers, a lot of very good offensive catchers played better defensively than Mike Piazza. But if you're looking based on numbers and performance and comparing his numbers to that of the other catchers to ever play in this game, Mike Piazza is a first ballot Hall of Famer without a doubt. And I think if you know Mike Piazza played 20 years ago or 30 years ago, he he would go in. He would get over ninety percent of the vote, and I don't I don't think that would even be an issue. And the only thing that's holding him back, unfortunately, is the thought of possible steroid use. And you know it kind of bothers me because there's been other players that you know have been implicated, other players that have stood before Congress and been proven just about to be lying. And then you look at a guy like Mike Piazza, who, in my opinion. You know, should should get a free pass, and you may disagree with me. You may not. I mean, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, here's a guy that numbers wise, he's in, and really should not have any any issues with it. But you know, as the Hall of Fame vote goes towards next year, and they end up uh, doing what they got to do, I mean, hopefully he gets it. I think his book, I think, was part partially written to try to clear his name, and you know, unfortunately, it didn't happen. I mean, he, you know, the book, maybe, maybe he should have released the book before the Hall of Fame. Would that have made a difference? I don't know. I just think that this year, with the Hall of Fame vote in particular, writers were really out to try to make a point that they didn't want anything to do with anything that involves steroids. And I think, you know, in addition to the players that were held off because of the era that they played in, they took it out on the rest of the ballot as well. And they wanted to make a statement. And there were, listen, I mean, when you talk about, you know, somewhat about 30% of the vote, you know, maybe may have, may have voted for nobody or may not have voted for Craig Biggio. You know, there's there's something along the lines of collusion involved there. Where And I don't know if these guys talk to each other and say, listen, let's make a stand. Let's not put anybody in. Let's show our protest towards uh, steroids and the error that these players played in. I mean, maybe that was the case. I'm very curious to see what happens next year, not only because of the returning players, but because of the new players that are on the ballot. Well, I mean, are you going to hold that against Greg Maddox? Are you going to hold that against Tommy Glavin? Are you going to hold that against uh, Frank Thomas? In my opinion, Frank Thomas 
if he's a Hall of Famer, then Mike Piazza's a Hall of Famer. Because Mike Piazza, Mike Piazza, similar to Frank Thomas, is a big guy. He, you know, he's a guy. He's a guy that could hit. You know, a big power hitter. You know, 500 home runs. You know, phenomenal career. One of the best players the Chicago White Sox have ever had. Was a very good defensive first baseman. Listen, you know, high on base percentage. There, if you make the case that there should be no reason, no reason to uh, not include. Frank Thomas in the Hall of Fame, then I think you gotta you, you gotta let Piazza in. You gotta let Jeff Bagwell in. You gotta, geez, let Craig Biggio in, the little guy that he is. I mean, you know, what's the reason of holding him out? Now all of a sudden three thousand hits isn't good enough when it was a magic number before? That's why I bring up the issue of collusion. And I know that, you know, that had a lot to do with what was going on when during this Hall of Fame election. But I don't want to make it all about, you know, the Hall of Fame discussion. Mike Piazza Listen, tried to clear up a lot of things in his book. He addressed just about everything from when his career started, uh, when he was ta- you know taken as a favor for uh, Tommy Lasorda, Tommy Lasorda pushing him and you know trying to make him play baseball with his dad and everything, and you know how he ended, you know he had, he had the experience with Ted Williams that Ted Williams was telling him how good he was at age sixteen. I mean, all these things considered, I don't see a connection with steroids, and unfortunately. You know, the people that are going to be the naysayers, the people that are going to be most critical of the situation and of Mike Piazza are going to point to the groin injury in 2003 when uh, the Jason Schmidt fastball that drew him back off the plate and the groin tore completely off the bone. And they say that's an injury that can only be be uh, attributed to steroid use. I, I mean, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know enough about that. I mean, if that's true, then, you know, maybe they got a point. Maybe they got a point. You know, and they talk about, uh, you know, the, the um, Murray Chouse article. And uh, listen, I, I don't think you could have made a bigger enemy. And I don't know what Mike Piazza ever did. Maybe he scorned him from an interview or scorned him from a autograph or something like that. But Murray Chouse comes out in his columns and in his posts what he's written about Mike Piazza. Like, he is on a mission. Like, he hates Mike Piazza to a point that he'll do anything to bring this guy down. And listen, is is some of it justified? I don't know. I, I really don't think so. From the way that it looks, from the perspective, I don't think that, that that a lot of the stuff that he's saying is true. I mean, I've I've said before on the past ball show. I mean, I've had back acne forever. You know, I have it at age thirty three right now. Do I look like a guy that's going to go out there and use steroids? If I did, what would I gain out of it? So the the back acne thing, I think, is a reach. You want to talk about the torn groin? It, you probably can, but in my opinion, you know, you're looking at something that's. Uh, listen, it, it's so. It, you know, the evidence is so hearsay, and I think it's a shame. You know, if if for some reason, and and there's a very good chance that he he used performance enhancing drugs. There's also a very good chance that he didn't. So you know, in my opinion, I mean, you're looking at you know depriving the guy a chance at a whole at the Hall of Fame when he was clearly the greatest offensive catcher in the history of the game. I mean, dude, if he did what he did throughout the course of his career, and you know, from 19, 1955 to 1970, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He would have gotten more of the percentage of the votes that Johnny Bench got. But now, because this is the steroids era, and every player has, you know, either either proof or no proof or you know evidence or no evidence or people just want to throw them in the same bucket 
you know, Mike Piazza is treated like a steroids user. And I, I've always said all along, and, and, and listen, there's plenty of, I think there are players that are in the Hall of Fame that used, you know, steroids and performance-enhancing drugs, and I've said that before. And what happens once a guy, you know, decides to write about it? Let's say there's a Hall of Famer that has, you know, you know been down on his luck. He ends up not having, uh, you know, he, he loses all his money. He needs to write a book. And he goes out there and he decides that he has to, he has to make some money. And he's going to go out and tell the truth and say, yes, I'm in the Hall of Fame. I've been in there for 30 years and I use performance-enhancing drugs during my playing career. You know, how, how do you deal with that? How do you answer to that? I mean, what do, you, what do you do? You know, what do you do to try, you know, to, I mean, are you going to take that guy out of the Hall of Fame like, you know, Goose Gossett suggests? I think you're going to have to do a lot to do that because once you get somebody in, dude, I, I mean, I can't imagine in any professional sports Hall of Fame somebody being taken out. And what the process would be to take out a Hall of Famer, especially since they've been a you know they've been in for a while. I don't think I don't think there's a guy that's going to be elected this year that you'll find out was doing steroids next year. You know maybe if there's a you know one year turnover or something like that, you might have more of a chance of getting something done. But you know not to throw out any names because you know it's not fair. Just like it isn't fair to the players that are being held out just because of the era that they played in, it's also not fair to suggest certain Hall of Famers by name were using steroids. But I bet you there were. I bet you some of them did. And without naming names, I, I think there's enough that there, there might turn out over time to be enough evidence to say that some of the players were. And once that happens, what does Major League Baseball do? Does that all of a sudden make it okay? You know, for all the all the uh, the the grudges and the friggin' negativity towards these guys, does that all go away? Once once you find out that there's a player in the Hall of Fame that was using steroids, I mean, does that all of a sudden open the door? You know, Sammy Sosa got what you know, ten percent of the vote this past year, twelve percent something like that. Does he all of a sudden get you know eighty percent the next year? Once we know that Hall of Famers have used steroids. And listen, this is a discussion that, you know, I think rubs some people the wrong way because of my approach on it. And yes, you know, when you, when you see somebody that's doing something that's illegal, when you see somebody that's uh, having a competitive advantage over somebody else that isn't using, you know, it's unfair. And I agree with that all, all along, but I'm there to watch the games. Nobody's going to be able to erase this whole era, this whole time frame. Uh, what and because you can't you can't erase a time frame where you don't know where it started. I mean, what happens if you find out that somebody in 1960 was doing steroids? I mean, is that going to change your whole per, uh, perception of what's going on now? I mean, th listen, a, a lot of those players that played back then, you know, aren't even around to talk about it. And and then you get into the amphetamines. Amphetamines have been part of baseball since what the 50s. So now you want to look at amphetamines as being dirty? Well, there's plenty of Hall of Famers that used amphetamines throughout the, their entire career. So now you're going to get into that. I mean, I, I just don't, listen, I really don't agree with the harsh criticism about players that do steroids because it's not cut and dry who used and who didn't use. And if it was more cut and dry, it would be an easier discussion to have. To me, it's not. 
I mean, when you want to you want to judge a guy based on his size, you know, the fact that he's you know 270 pounds, cock D, hitting you know a ton of home runs, he had to be using steroids. Well, what what about what about the pitchers? You know, pitchers can't handle going out there being you know 275, 280 pounds. Obviously, they're looking for a competitive advantage too, and with connections to Roger Clemens and other pitchers who have used performance enhancing drugs, there there is obviously a possibility that many skinny pitchers may have been using also. So why do they get off on a free pass? I mean, anybody who wants to go out there and say everybody was using, eventually you're going to let another Hall of Famer in. And that's the problem that I have. The problem isn't the issue of the drugs in the sport, which I think Major League Baseball has done a good job in trying to eliminate or make you know less of an issue than what it really is right now. So that's you know that's pretty much what what I'm trying to get to with that. And on the Mike Piazza, listen, I'm I'm trying you know, like listen, I I have a bias towards him because he was the favorite, my favorite player, one of my favorite players that I've ever seen. I I may have a bias to say, hey, he wasn't using steroids, but I'm not going to go out there and say others that are in a similar situation were. But in my opinion, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But we're going to take a quick break in a little bit. We're actually I'm going to get, I'm going to give another shot at calling uh, Calvin Madaro here. And if we can't get a hold of him, it's all right. Maybe we'll get him on a show sometime in the, in the future. But uh, once again, this is John Pielli. We're on a fastball show. We'll be on until seven o'clock tonight. Uh, got a ton more stuff to go over, and I didn't think I'd get all hooked hooked up in uh, steroids talk. And you know, I think all it takes is one player, one mention of something like that, and you kind of go back on your tangents. You kind of get back into stuff like that that maybe you don't really want to talk about and you know we're going to take a quick break we'll get the music playing unfortunately um you know my flash drive i can't get it to work so we're gonna have to play a little bit of music here but uh we'll take a very quick break we'll be back uh, i believe Monteus walton's gonna be joining us got a ton of stuff to go over probably got some time for your phone calls today so we'll be back in a little bit passball show mtr radio network back after this This is me you're talking to. This is me you're talking to.
Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli. We're going to knock it out up until about 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, we'll remind you in a little while, hopefully, top of the second hour. Looks like we'll take your phone calls, throw the number out there in a little bit. But um, let me get this music down, and we'll definitely get back into, listen, everything going on in Major League Baseball. Like I said, Valentine's Day, you know, pitchers and catchers are here. And it's, it's time, man. It's time for a baseball season. The diehard baseball fan is back into things. The the fans that love football but like baseball when it's on are starting to think about baseball again. And I think those four-sport uh, four uh, fans, the ones that gravitate always between baseball and football and basketball and hockey, are still probably into the basketball and hockey right now and probably won't join us until, you know, maybe opening day or a little bit after. But... Yeah, listen, man, amongst free agents, there is one free agent that stands out. And this is, in in my opinion, ridiculously late for a high-profile free agent to not be signed by. And if you look at Kyle Lotion, the, um, you know, the way things are going for him, it doesn't look so good. I will make a prediction that by the time I go on the show next week, which will be the 21st, Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m., right here on the MTR Radio Network, Kyle Loesch will be signed. The problem is we just don't know what team he's going to end up with. And honestly, I think this opens the door for so many possibilities when it comes to where this guy could end up or where this guy could be. And, you know, a lot lot of the teams that would be favorites maybe have backed out, maybe just aren't interested, maybe don't like the thought of losing their first-round draft pick in uh, this year's draft. I mean, I think you're at a point where, listen, you either decided you were going to uh, risk giving it up or right now you decided that you didn't want to give the pick up. And I think that hurts Kyle Lotion. I've talked before. It didn't seem to matter in years past when it came to free agents and that, that number one draft pick. And I really think the first-round draft pick in Major League Baseball is so overrated. It really is. I mean, there's been teams that have built – very good farm systems that haven't had first round draft picks in years. You know, teams teams like the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees, yes, their farm system probably isn't what it was 10 years ago, and you can make a case that it's not great right now. But they 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 never deterred them from making a free agent signing, a significant signing, bringing in a guy, not bringing in a guy. Uh you know, that that never seemed to be an issue. And it's not just with the Yankees, it's with all teams. I mean, the first-round draft pick, let's understand that it's not what it is in the NFL or the NBA. You're not getting a bona fide starting player that's going to immediately impact your team. How many players, how many players in uh, you know, Major League Baseball are first-round draft picks that you don't even know who they are? And years, as years go by, you don't know what they, you know, you, you have no idea who they are. And, and I think... And, and I think that it's a situation where, you know, why why do you care so much about this first round draft pick, particularly? And and, and I've talked you know talked a little bit about wired for on wired for sports about uh, the the Mets first round draft pick. If they lost that pick by any chance, if they signed Michael Bourne and it cost them the number one draft pick in in, in this year's draft, I don't think that it's necessarily derailing the rebuilding process. Because you may not need that pick. If you snag somebody, if you do your job as, as a scouting department and you, you have players in rounds two through six or even two through ten, 
You know, I think this is that's a situation that you don't really you're not really doing bad. We're going to put that on hold. We're going to take this call. I believe it's Monteus Walton. Is this Monteus? Hey, how you doing? All right, man. What's going on? Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Uh, no problem, man. Thanks a lot for having me again. Yeah, anytime, man. Listen, let's start out, man. Let's get into uh, what you're up to now, man. I know you're. I know you've been working hard, trying to uh, tr- trying to impress some scouts. What, what's what's the latest of what's going on in the uh, baseball life of Monteus Walton? Well, you know, well, you know, so far, man, I'm I'm happy to be, you know, in great shape. Um, I'm in a hundred percent shape now. Um, ready to go, ready to kick off the season, right? Whoever I end up playing for. <laughs> um, I do have trials lined up. Um, one, one of the tryouts is, you know, that me and you spoke about before with the Newark Newark Bears, which is in April. But then also I have other ones lined up as well in the independent league, specifically. Um, the Atlantic League. So I'm definitely looking forward to going out there and showcasing my talent and, you know, just showing the scouts what, what I got. So Yeah, so your your game kind of is based on on your legs, right? You're, you're a speed guy, you play some defense, you got, you know, maybe a little bit of power. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit more about, uh, you know, what Monteus Wall brings to the game. Uh, I, I like to play more like I mean, I Dead Space 3, rated M for Mature. Add voice to your arsenal and amplify the action with Connect. Xbox 360, starting at $99. But, you know, I'm definitely not a power hitter. I mean, I've always been a, a guy that can put the ball in play, put the ball in place or whatnot, and just, just run it out and, and go from there and maybe steal some bases. So, yeah, so definitely, man, speed is, is something that, that always, uh, you know, been my forte. So. Yeah, so as you're moving forward, man, you get you get a, you end up getting you know nervous or a little bit like uh, a little bit inconvenienced as you're moving forward. You know, you're getting older and older. Are you ever, are you ever wondering that if you don't make it at a certain time, that the time might pass you by? Yeah, to be honest, I I do sit back and think about that. I, I you know I think about that a lot realistically, um, but at the same time, it's it's all about just you know being optimistic. You know, continue working hard, you know, staying in the gym, staying determined, and persevere. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, I've always been a persevere type person and, you know, very optimistic and determined and positive. So, but it, that crossed my mind a lot. And if, if all else fails, uh, like I said before, <laughs> I, I graduated May 19th with a, with a degree uh, uh, in journalism and mass communications. And, you know, so I definitely have a backup plan in case something does happen, you know, to where I don't be able to where I'm not able to continue my career. But um, definitely I do think about that a lot. But at the same time, I'm very, like I said before, determined and optimistic that I'll still land somewhere and be able to play somewhere. Yeah, and you, I think you definitely want to just, uh, you know, see, see if you got it, man. You get to a point where somebody just runs you out there. And then you'll just be able to tell yourself, you know, whether you could do this or not. I mean, I'm sure your, you know, your work ethic, you know, it, it, is as good as could be, man. You're in the best shape of your life. You know, you're healthy. And listen, not, not just in the major league level, there's plenty of professional baseball teams that need that kind of talent. And, you know, I think for you, I'm sure you, you owe it to yourself to see what you could get out there. And listen, I, you know, I really, I really hope things end up working out for you, man. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. I'm going to continue working hard and continue, uh, you know, swinging away. Continue swinging away and, you know, hopefully, you know, like I said, I'll end up somewhere. Um, a lot of my 
a lot, a lot of the people, as far as my advisors and mentors go, um, we're very optimistic that I end up somewhere. Um, you know, whether it's in the Can-Am League, Atlantic League, you know, some professional league, I end up somewhere. So we're very optimistic. Now let's talk a little bit about about adversity. I mean, you you know, you've been you know, you've obviously been through a lot being at this stage of your life, and you know, a lot of things haven't you know you know we all have things that don't go right for us. Tell us a little bit about the adversity, everything that you've battled to get to where you are right now. Um, I would say adversity-wise, um, you know, some of the things that I, that I did battle in my past was that, uh, you know, just, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, get recruited out of high school the way that I wanted to. You know what I mean? Like, that's one of the things. And then also, uh, you know, just, just, you know, having that, just being walked from, like, in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin baseball is not really that big. Uh, you know, so me being able to, having to travel and, you know, down to Florida and take, you know, warmer climates to really get a look, to really get a good look and, you know, see if I can get signed somewhere. I think that's part of the adversity that I went through. Um, you know, a lot of the naysayers, you know, you're going to have naysayers, you're going to have doubters, you're going to have people that's, that's not going to, you know, believe in you, but it's always good to believe in yourself and, you know, also surround yourself with, Associates that believe in yourself too, and that's in your that believe in you as well, and that's in your corner, uh, as well as working hard. So, yeah, no question. Now I'll tell you, you know, listen, Google could be a bitch; it really can be. But are are, are you are you aware that there's somebody actually impersonating you out there? Yeah, I'm I'm aware. You know, we all aware of what happened last year. You know, that's one of the things, and you know, that's been going on last year uh, from a legal standpoint. Um, you know, I'll, there was certain charges that was against me. I can talk about it now because the case is over with. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, charges have been dropped. I got a you know, slap on the wrist pretty much. And you know what I mean? And so, you know, just being able to be able to bury that behind me from, from last year in 2012 and really just look forward to 2013 and start off right, you know, doing the right things and, you know, hopefully, like I said before, land with the team and just uh, make sure I make the right decisions and, and, and not making irrational decisions like I did before. Now, so, listen, uh, man, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't ask the certain questions, man. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Listen, you're man, fine. you, know you, you got you to get into it, man. What, what what happened with this, man? How did you end up in that situation? Um, I ended up in that situation where, you know, as far as telling my side of things, um, you know, just uh, being involved with, with, with two different guys, um, you know, two different ages or whatnot. You, you know how the Asian game go where most agents give you different things. You, you know, you, you a lot of athletes take things from agents without thinking, you, you know. And I, I think at that point in time of my life, I wasn't thinking. I was naive to a lot of things and it ended up catching up with me, you know, especially from a legal standpoint. So... Now, what was there? Was there anything over that time that you fabricated or didn't tell the truth on? At that point in time, I mean, I, I would say I didn't tell the truth in terms of, you know, well, with the agents or not, I didn't tell the truth. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was this. I won't. I won't get deeply into details, but to put it out there, you know, I was kind of dishonest about certain things with those particular two guys just as well as they were as well. I think we all, all three of us at that time, 
play, uh, you know, we all had our hands dirty. You know, nobody was really a victim in that. You know, it's just that I had got caught up in the wrong thing, man. And I'm just glad that that's all behind me now. You know, it's a new year, and I, you know, I, you know, uh, 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 as far as the court of the law and the honor of the court of the law. I'm pretty much, in, you know, I'm pretty much innocent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I said, the charges, one of the charges, been dropped. So, um, you know, I'm still able to chase my dream. I'm still able to, you know, go out and do the best I could. Man, no question, man. But I'll tell you, man. You know, and and I have this happen to me too, dude. As far as you know, if somebody somebody don't like you and they kind of just pile on some stuff. But yeah, yeah some yeah. some stuff some stuff's really out there, man. You know, there's just some um, some pretty I, strong accusations against you in regards it, to it, you know you being well, you know was, who you are. I would say it was right, right. It was it, it was it was definitely strong accusations out there. Um, there, you know, not not to go in detail about it, but you know, it's it's supposed to be a story that's that's supposed to be out, you know, coming out. Um, you know, not just dealing with the whole situation, but my whole life leading up to that particular situation, and as well as what's going on in my life now. So, um, you know, I'd be glad when that come out so people could really see and they can empathize about, you know, what really happened. It's, you know, the story is due out March 14th. So, something Not good, man. Listen, I'm looking forward to listen. The difference between me and being a big-time radio show host is somebody latching on and say, here, let me listen to this guy. So, to me, you're kind of in that same boat. You're looking for somebody, in my opinion, to believe in you. And, you know, I think, you know, from here forward, man, is what you got to do. I just, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I trust in you. I believe in you. Listen, man. I just hope, I, I, I hope, I hope you're, you're, you're everything that you, you've, you've come out to be, man. And I do want to see you succeed. Okay, and I, I definitely, I definitely appreciate that. And like I said, you know, like I said, the past is the past. That you know, a lot of the things that was out there about me publicly is, is from last year. And you know, like I said, this is 2013. I'm willing to just start off fresh, you know, make the right decision, make rational decisions, and just continue working hard. So, now nah, I hear you, brother. Now, listen, man. Uh, listen, I wish you the best of luck with the tryouts for the Newark Bears, man. Hope you make me look good, man. <laughs> uh, no doubt, man. Like I said, I'm in 100% shape. I'm in uh, definitely good shape, man. I'm, I'm going to go out there and give them all. All right, man. Listen, hopefully, we talk to you a little closer to then after tryouts. You know, see how everything's going. And listen, man, we all we all need a fresh start, man. We all need, you know, a chance in life, man. And that's what I'm all about, dude. Just give give somebody a chance, man. You're 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 a baseball player. You go out there and you show me you could play. You deserve a shot. And I, I look at things the same way for me, man. So, Monty, I wish you the best of luck, man. And we'll definitely talk to you sometime in the near future. All right, thank you so much, John, for having me. Yep, no problem. That was Monteus Walton. And like I said, there was there were some reports out there that you know there's somebody you know, kind of messing around, not not telling all the truth. I think Monty kind of owned up to some of it. So in my opinion, some of that stuff was true. But listen, man, I think I think stories get overblown. And you know, going back to what I was talking about with with the steroids, man, there's you know you, you get a little bit of something, and you want to implicate everybody, and you want to pile on, and that's what journalists and radio show hosts and people in the media kind of do to a point. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that, you know, this guy was hundred percent right because I don't think he was, but we're talking about, you know, a situation where dude, he, he is, he is what he is. 
And, and you know, is he is he not a baseball player? Listen, I I mean, I think you know, time will tell. If he if he doesn't, you know, make it this year or next year or the year after that, that's putting more pressure on him. It really is. So, you know, rather than comment, you know, speculate, you know, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to take the information I got and provide it to you people that are listening. So I'm not going to go out on a, on a limb and say, you know, anything is anything. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned with, you know, Mateus Walton, it, it is what it is, man. And, you know, I wish him luck, man. I, I would like to see him succeed. And if he if he makes it, whether it's with the Newark Bears or another independent league, the Atlantic League, uh, you know, whatever. If he makes it there, dude, I'm going to be proud of the guy. I really am. Because it's that, you know, it's that story that, you know, you don't always need to be, you know, shutter, you don't always need to be the guy that's, you know, recruited out of high school and college and seen by everybody. That if you could just play, you could play. And we'll see relatively soon if this guy could play or not. Once again, John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network, taking you up until about 6. We'll take our five-minute break, and then we'll uh, probably open the phone lines up to your calls. Actually, if you want to call in, sure, shoot, 609-910-0687. Get you right up here, man. Talk anything that's on your mind, baseball-related, anything. You want to talk steroids, you want to talk uh, really anything, man. We'll get you up here. Um, I I don't open up the phone lines that much, but we'll get you up here. You know, in the meantime, I'm going to get kind of back in my monologue. We'll start talking about a lot of the issues that I wanted to bring up today. There's definitely, uh, definitely a lot of things going on, man. And you know, if you're talking about Michael Bourne ended up going to the Indians, you know, a lot of Met fans will sour on that real quick and say, "Hey, we didn't want him anyway." Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're just throwing sour grapes there because uh, there's no question that Michael Bourne makes the Mets outfield, which I've said all along doesn't exist right now, better. And he goes to the Cleveland Indians, who already had a projected outfield, in my opinion. They were going to run three guys out there, and Drew Stubbs and uh, you know Nick Swisher and Michael Brantley. They had a starting scheduled outfield that, listen, that, that outfield right there is way better than anything the Mets are going to run out with what they have in the organization right now. So as far as him making the Indians better, yes, he makes the Indians better. He gives them a legitimate leadoff batter, a guy that's going to play center field, do all the things that we talked about that he would have done, whether he's playing for the Mets or playing for the Braves or playing for the Phillies or playing for the Miami Marlins. I think that's all true, and we all know that. But at the same time, listen, would he would he be a bigger upgrade or a bigger asset to the New York Mets than the Cleveland Indians? Absolutely. And But, you know, you have to be able to move on. You have to be able to forget it. It's done with. It's over. That's all. Michael Bourne's not coming into Mets. Listen, I think it's on Sandy Alderson to do something. And I think as a fan, you've trusted. You've trusted him up to this point. You know, whether you've liked all the moves that have happened over the last couple of years with players going and nobody there to replenish them and a couple trades that have made the farm system a little better than what it was before he got here. This year, they have to show something. And you hear Fred Wilpon going out there the other day saying all the financial issues are behind them. They want to start fresh from here forward. They'll be willing and able to spend money. And maybe the offer to Michael Bourne was a sign that they are willing to spend some money. But it can't stop there. They can't sit there and have that as their only hope and dream and aspiration of the entire offseason. Because that's not fair to the fans that go out there and see the game. The fans that go out to City Field every day, the fans that, like me, that are going out there, you know, the last week of March to spend a week down there in spring training in Port St. Lucie 
It's not fair to us to not have anything to hope for. And all the hopes and thoughts and aspirations cannot be 100% on the future. Something has to give when it comes to the present. The Mets owe it to the fans to have a major league outfield once opening day comes April 1st. They have to. Now, will they? They, you know, Sandy Olson will look me or anybody else in the eye and say, hey, I don't have to do anything. You know, I got Kirk Neuenheis. I got Mike Baxter. These guys are playing every day. And if that's, you know, if that's, if that's his approach, it looks very bad for him. Now, listen, the Lesley Alderson of how good of a general manager he is, has been, or will be, is going to come down to the contingent fact of what happens with the team in the future. If Zach Wheeler's for real, if Matt Harvey, who wasn't drafted by Sandy Alderson, but is part of the mix, if he's for real, if Travis Darno is a legitimate major league catcher that's going to hit 20, 25 home runs a season, then his legacy will be taken a lot better. This team will win in the future. But I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to get my dreams up and saying that, you know, 2014 is going to be the year. Because right now, based on the roster they got, and they do have some bright spots. Listen, they, they don't have a whole team full of scrubs. They don't. They don't have, you know, let's say what the Miami Marlins have, where they've totally gutted their team. They don't have very much. They may have a bright spot or two, but nothing that thinks that it could ever be competitive. The Mets have a couple things. They got Ike Davis, of course. They got David Wright. You got Harvey and Wheeler. Yeah, you know, a couple of other positives that you could throw in there and say, listen, some players on this team can play. But when it comes down to it, what fans honestly are getting to a point, in my opinion, from what I hear, that they're a little too delusional, a little silly when it comes to this whole thing, is that they are going to be bad this year. Unless they address the outfield, unless... Every move that Sandy Alderson made this offseason turns out to be gold, which doesn't happen for any general manager. You know, when you're rebuilding a bullpen, you may get a guy that's good, a guy that stands out, a player or two. But for the most part, most of the players that you bring in in a bullpen are not going to work out. So you can't count on the bullpen to be an asset of this team this year. And you talk about R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey went out there and won the Cy Young last year. He went 20-6, 230 strikeouts. Was the elite pitcher in the National League. And it showed when he got the Cy Young Award, which I said all along was deserved. He should have been the Cy Young Award winner. You take him and you trade him. Yes, you could sit here and talk about what the Mets got back. They may have gotten a catcher of the future. This guy, Syndergaard, might be another wheeler or something like that. It may happen. It may not happen. The problem is we don't know right now. And it doesn't do anything to affect the team. The team that's going to go out on the field right now, April 1st against San Diego at City Field. That team is not going to look good right now. And I think fans have to start thinking about that. You know, they say, hey, because of David Wright and Ike Davis and, you know, Zach Wheeler is going to come up here and go, you know, 18-4 and four as a rookie – it doesn't usually work out that way. Remember Tim Lincecum when he first came up? He wasn't he wasn't killing it. He wasn't a Cy Young his first year. It's going to take time. And the unfortunate thing, the thing that really could have been addressed in my opinion, the thing that could have made things a little bit better would be 
one major league outfielder. And I and I know some people have some faith in Marlon Byrd. I think he's better than he maybe he's been being given credit for. His 2012 season could not have been any worse than it really was. But, and I say but, you can't expect Marlon Byrd to go out there and hit 280 and hit you know 25 home runs and drive in 80 runs. And if that if that happens, Sandy Alderson looks like a genius. I agree, and I and I'll be the first to applaud him. But you can't count on that. You can't. And a guy that you signed to a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training. Yes, some of these players end up turning out to be very good players. They end up showing something that they had before or haven't shown recently but had years before. And it happens sometimes. But you can't bank on that. And my and my question is, if it doesn't work out, if Marlon Bird doesn't work out to be your everyday center fielder or right fielder, then where are you going to go? Because the drop-off of the expectation of what Marlon Byrd can do at his absolute best, the drop-off is tremendous after that. I mean, are you going to run Kirk Neuenheis out there for 150 games in center field? He struck out 100 times in a little over 300 at-bats last year. Or a little under 300 at-bats. So you extrapolate that for about 550, 600 at-bats, he's going to strike out about 220, 230 times. And a guy doesn't have any power. You know, we're not talking about Rob Deere here, who's going to strike out, you know, 180 times and hit 30 home runs. You might get six, you might get 10 out of them over the course of a 150-game season because he's not a power hitter. He might hit some doubles. Maybe he gets the average up to about 270, 280. And that's, that's a stretch. It is. Based on what he showed last season. So I'm not, I'm not buying that. So you're going to have a guy in Kirk Neuenheis who's going to strike out 230 times. And for those who are criticizing the thoughts of bringing in Michael Bourne and saying he strikes out too much, well, at least at least I know when Michael Bourne makes contact, which is going to be you know, 80 less strikeouts than what Kirk Neuenheis is going to give you over the course of a full 162-game season, at least I know that when he makes contact, there's a chance that his speed could beat, it out, beat out a freaking hit. You don't see that in Neuenheis. And I don't mean to be critical on this guy. He's been a good prospect in the Mets organization for a while. I followed him back almost about four years ago when he first came to Mets camp. So when, when most Mets fans had no idea who he was, I, I saw something in him. He, he does have some ability. He can play some defense. But he strikes out way too much. And something's got to be done about it. And honestly, if, if I really wanted to say what was best for Kirk Neuenheis and his development and his growth, I would suggest him have another season down in AAA and work solely on the strikeout issue. Work solely on the issues of, of uh, you know, not being able to make contact with two strikes because that looked he looked terrible at times this past season. And if he could work that out, if he could improve that, get the strikeouts, maybe cut them in half, you could deal with a guy that, you know, over a course of a full season strikes out 130 times, not 230 times. The only time you accept 230 strikeouts is if you got a guy like Ryan Howard or a guy like Mark Reynolds, who you know when he connects, he's going to hit the ball a long way. You can't take it for a center fielder who you know might hit about 250 with six home runs and 45 runs batted in. 230 strikeouts is unacceptable. And honestly, I hope Sandy Alderson is on the phones trying to talk about different players that he could trade for 
maybe bring somebody else in here that you could say, listen, this guy could be a regular. And I spoke about Michael Brantley of the Indians, who may be the odd man out. Drew Stubbs. Uh, listen, I mean, you might if, if, if Kirk Nowenheist bothers you with the amount of strikeouts that he has, then Drew Stubbs is going to drive you crazy. So I might not be the biggest advocate of bringing in a Drew Stubbs. But Michael Brantley would work. And, and let's be honest, he's an upgrade over what the Mets got right now. Michael Saunders, Franklin Gutierrez, a couple of the guys in Seattle where they have an overcrowded outfield situation. You bring one of those guys in, it's an upgrade over to what, what the Mets have right now. And I just think that Sandy Alderson makes a trade sometime before spring training. And, it, hey, if, 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 if Mr. Wilpon is right what he says about having flexibility to add payroll – then maybe it's not just the the journeyman-type players, the guys who are just considered to be upgrades over what the Mets have. Maybe the Mets can go out there and take on maybe a guy who's signed for the next year or two and making decent money. We'll have to see how that ends up turning out. But before we end up finishing the uh, first hour here, um, I got into some stuff, and you know, it, was, it was funny, man, because you know, a lot of people really criticize Mo Vaughn for, you know, among other things, you know, his tenure with the Mets, his injury with the knee, and, you know, him subsequently being forced to retire. Obviously, what happened before that, which I've written about with the Angels and Terry Collins and, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole uh, mutiny that went on there and Movon being a, a centrical part of it. But one, one thing that I pointed out, and, and you may disagree with me, you can, obviously, let me know, call, call a show, let me know how you feel. But the way Mo Vaughn's season of 2003 and subsequent career ended draws a lot of parallels to what Carlos Delgado ended up doing. Now, you may say, what? Hey, are you saying that Mo Vaughn was as good as Carlos Delgado with the Mets? No, absolutely not. Carlos Delgado had some very good seasons, 2006 through 2008. His 2007 season wasn't that great, but was still productive. And his first three seasons with the Mets were we're, we're very good. And honestly, if you put them up against any first baseman that's played for the New York Mets for three consecutive seasons, uh, I think you'd be, uh, you'd be shortchanged if you found somebody that put up numbers that good. And I'll throw Keith Hernandez in there too because Keith Hernandez was a, was a very good average hitter. didn't have the power that Delgado had. And if you want to find in a history, the 50-plus year history of the New York Mets, a first baseman that put up the power numbers that Carlos Delgado did over his three full seasons with the New York Mets – You'd be hard-pressed to find one. But Carlos Delgado, beginning of 2009, gets his, his, his injury with his hip. Ends up ending his season. He never plays another game in the major leagues. Now, the difference between that and Mo Vaughn is that Mo Vaughn was signed another full season after the year he got hurt. Carlos Delgado left as a free agent at the end of the 2009 season, so the Mets were just simply done with him. He made a comeback with the Boston Red Sox that next year in Pawtucket. Never made it up to the majors. Called it quits. Mo Vaughn, unfortunately, stuck around with you for a little while. So when you, when you saw Mo Vaughn on the 40-man roster for the whole 2003 season and then saw him on the 40-man roster again for the entire 2004 season, I understand how it gets to you. It bothers you. It prob- you're probably wondering, what are you get paying this guy for nothing for? And it was out of Mo Vaughn's control. And I think it's a situation where you're looking at you know a guy that – Listen, gave you, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know if he gave you everything he got, 
was certainly a better player in his years in Boston when he was winning the MVP. Even his first couple of years with the Angels before he missed that entire season in 2001. I mean, even before that, before that was putting up better numbers than he gave the Mets. He gave you a half a season. His first half in, 2000, uh, in 2002 was terrible. But he, he hit like Mo Vaughn in the second half. So you want to compare the two guys? Listen, if I had to say who was the better, more consistent player, it was obviously Carlos Delgado because he played 17 seasons. And his career numbers are more. Mo Vaughn ended up uh, you know, retiring a little bit earlier than you would have expected. Didn't play as many games, didn't hit as many home runs. But I did want to point out that little similarity be- between the way both players had an injury at the beginning of the season, costing them the rest of the season, and in fact ending their careers. And there are some parallels there. And one thing I'll bring up, I'll throw each of their best seasons out there. And for Mo Vaughn, it was 1998 uh, with, with Boston. Uh, I'm sorry, 1996 with Boston. 161 games, 635 at-bats, 118 runs, 207 hits, 29 doubles, a triple, 44 home runs, 143 RBIs, 95 walks, 154 strikeouts. 326 average, 420 on base. 583 slugging for a 1.003 OPS. And that equals uh, with the 370 total bases. Carlos Delgado's best season. And I'll throw this one out there. And that's 2,000 for the Toronto Blue Jays. 162 games, 569 at-bats, 115 runs scored, 196 hits, 57 doubles, a triple. 41 homers, 137 RBIs, 123 walks, 104 strikeouts, 344 average, 470 on base, 664 slugging for a 1.134 OPS, 378 total bases. To me, those seasons are pretty close, and I think both both players were very dominant in the prime of their career. But as we break here for 6 o'clock, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We'll be back around 6.05, finish up the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. 